Welcome to Loaded Talk. I am Frank, your congressman, the third most popular candidate to ever be your hero. Along with me always. What's up, planet Earth? I'm Bean. The Bean. Yep. If we sound extra sul- sultry today, it's because we've spent an evening sipping whiskeys like true gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> My voice does sound like I, I do feel scratch. I don't know what it is about whiskey, but it definitely does something to your throat, you know? Like, you always see those people talk like this, and you go, that person drink a lot of whiskey and smoke a lot of cigarettes, you know? And, like, cigarettes I get, but I wonder what the whiskey part is. It feels, feels like I've been sipping syrup. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Mine, I mean, like, my throat's not sore. It's just, uh, I don't know. I definitely snore. I don't, like, I don't know about whiskey that makes me snore more than, like, beer or vodka or something else, but I definitely snore more with whiskey. I, are you guilty of the same? I'm just a general snorer when I'm drunk. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we uh, we were greeted with uh, the devastating damnation of <laughs> whatever. There's these uh, repent sinner type people out there that were aggressively yelling at everyone, which is odd. Someone talking about finding Jesus and calling. Was he calling her a whore? What was he calling her? Well, he said that he wasn't throwing stones, but that the gentleman's balls were cut off by her. Yeah, but what did he call her? He called her uh It wasn't a whore, right? N- no, it's some other word that I think meant whore. Yeah, one of those like biblical words that basically yeah. means I forget now. But yeah, he was he was yelling all sorts of hateful stuff and saying we were the problem. Which I started thinking, I'm like, you know, what if this is like a clever like psyop by the uh Church of Satan or something, you know, where it's like, look, we could go out there and say, come join the Church of Satan, but that won't work well. So how about this? We dress up as Christians and we just yell hateful things at them, at everybody. Then they go, man, I don't want to be with those people. Look how mean they are. Go go for the gentle embrace for the Church of Satan, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the, the guy who was checking IDs was like, he's just mad he didn't get a ticket. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> he was very angry, um, which I've never seen that tactic. I've seen the... Uh, you know, the preaching fire and brimstone and, you know, repent and all that kind of stuff. But never, like, hurling insults at people personally, other than saying, like, maybe you're a sinner or something like that. But that's that's the first, like, I don't know, berate people into finding Christ or something? I don't even know. I don't even know what the message was. I'm not even sure why we were, like, I guess because of whiskey we were sinners? For trying whiskey? That's the only thing I can think of. I mean, it's not like it was a, you know, an LGBTQIA2LS plus kind of thing. It was, it was literally just a whiskey tasting thing, and it wasn't a death metal concert either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like it had to have been. And like one of the guys, I heard somebody, like, kind of arguing with one of the guys. It's like, but didn't Jesus uh, turn water into wine? It's like, right, that's wine. So it's like, okay, so whiskey. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what makes it a sin. I know. I mean, I get it. Like you know, Mormons don't do the drinking, and like some Baptists in the South really poo-poo it. But I don't know anywhere. Oh, hell, I don't know. I've never read the Bible, so. But I don't. I don't know it to be a sin. I don't think it is. I mean, <clears throat> Rachel's uh, aunt said that uh, something in the Bible says something about tattoos being okay. I don't know. She's read it. I haven't. I believe her. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> Jews don't think so. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Can't yeah. be buried in a Jewish cemetery if you have a tattoo. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Did you ever see that uh, movie with uh, Jonah Hill uh, and Eddie Murphy? It just came out oh, on Netflix. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> His mom's berating him about the tattoos. Julie, Julie Louise Dreyfus. He's like, you're never going to, you can't be buried with your family. He's like, I'm counting on it. <laughs> he's like, or, you know, he's like, I don't care. I'll be dead. I don't care. Bury me anyway. Um. Yeah, so that's how I learned that lesson. All right. <clears throat> so I think the general theme this week is try not to freak out Bane too much. <laughs> Everything's going to hell, basically, is what's coming. Please stop freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've been saying, I don't even remember if I said it on here, but I've been saying for a little bit that I think... In about four years-ish, we'll be at a very low point for the real estate market. Um, And then that will, of course, have other 
problems that have occurred to, to get there. Um, probably in banking and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I'm kind of looking forward to it. Everyone really like complains about housing prices. I mean, remember that 2008 wasn't a cakewalk, cakewalk, but it did adjust housing prices down. I know my house that I had just purchased a couple of years prior lost half its value. And I was just like, well, good thing I'm not looking to sell anytime soon. And just a short 10 years later, I was able to sell it for like $10,000 more than I bought it for. Oh, man. Yeah, not great, but at least I didn't lose my my shirt, you know. Some people had to sell. And especially, and <clears throat> one of the fun things is cross-collateralization. And so when things start to go bad, one domino can... And so that's... Uh, I'm hoping when this crash occurs, which maybe I'm rooting for a little bit, but that's okay. You know, there's a lot of corporate ownership of houses now, and they ended the the ride up the bubble, the residential bubble there, um, by, you know, they were paying 20 grand over asking, like 20% over asking. I mean, they were paying, they're just whatever, because their plan was like, we're going to hold this as a long-term asset that we're going to rent out to people. When things crash and people lose their homes and have to rent one, uh, they're like, we'll still own it. We'll own everything. And you'll own nothing. And you'll like it. Um, so that's why BlackRock's in, in on that, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, like, I mean, if we want to go full thing with it, with a you know, great reset, you'll own nothing and you'll like it. And then all of a sudden, like, I mean, somebody like a BlackRock, like a Vanguard, like any of these people big enough to go party at Davos, um, or they're just like, yeah, no, we do think we should sell subscription housing, you know, because especially if things get tough and you go, ah, like I've, I've lost everything, you know, how about we rent you a furnished apartment and or furnished house and it comes with Internet and power and all this like one flat fee, you know, twenty five hundred a month. You go, you know, that's not really all that bad. Like, oh, all right, 25, oh, that's not bad. And then you just go, oh, well, I could move, but. This is so affordable, you know, and, and easy and easy. Yep, give me convenience or give me death. Um, but uh, but people that aren't BlackRock and aren't Vanguard, but the kind of smaller players in this, I'm kind of hoping that they have stretched themselves very thin financially. Um, that they are hoping to refinance before. Um, the bubble, you know, the payment and, you know, the, the jacking of the rate and all that kind of stuff. What do they call that? Is that the bubble? What is it called? The bubble payment? The bubble, you know, with a variable rate mortgage, when it goes from like, you get, get an intro at 0% and then at some point jumps up to like 13% and you owe like a oh, balloon balloon. Yeah. yeah. Balloon payment. Yeah. But it's like, all right, you know, and this in six years from now, you know, you owe us like $50,000 and the rates can go up to 9%. If you don't refinance, you go, ah, I'll refinance. But I'm hoping <clears throat> a lot of people have been playing that game. And then when they go to refinance and they go, what's this 7% nonsense? What's this 8% nonsense? Like, I can't afford those payments. You know, I went from 0%. I've got some of it rented out, you know, so I can, I can do it. But like, suddenly my mortgage has gone up. Tremendously, and when I'm the deals that I signed when I thought I could refinance low, now this doesn't pay for those deals. And so, I'm hoping you see a flood of houses in addition to the commercial real estate just hit the market. Things will crash, it'll, it'll be it'll suck for people trying to like downsize to retire or move. But I have a feeling that there's a lot of people that took advantage of this high that we had in the market. And, you know, if you missed it, you missed it. Like, I mean, I wouldn't try to sell. I've only lived here for five, six years or whatever. Uh, but you start looking at value, you go, well, that's twice what I paid for it. So like, what if I did sell? And they go, well, I could buy basically this same house. So I'm not upgrading. I'm just spending more on the exact same house because the values are so high. Um, so anyway, I don't, I don't think, I think net it will hurt corporate buyers more than Joe Everyman, you know, because worst case, case scenario is like, so you just stay in your home longer, you know, but if you're a renter and looking to be a first time home buyer, suddenly you got access again. Suddenly you can get a house for 200,000, maybe 175,000, uh, which anybody that's listening to this outside of Florida, that's insane here. Like good luck. And, and St. Pete, 
150 grand means you are in a bad neighborhood with a house that's falling apart, you know? Um, yeah. So <clears throat> from Bloomberg, we have if the headline is a $560 billion property warning hits banks from New York to Tokyo. I had to scroll. I have a weird perspective screen here. Hyundai Santa Cruz versus up, Ford Mavericks. Look what Santa yeah, Cruz. Yeah, Yahoo Finance. This happened on my phone when I was reading. Let's make sure these speakers are muted. Sons of bitches. Or you can just turn them off back there. Whatever. Well, let's make sure it's muted because I think it'll end up being recorded. Yeah, that happened. I was reading this on my phone. All of a sudden, I started hearing voices about Hyundai Santa Cruz or whatever, and I'm like, really? Like, even on the mobile browser, you're going to autoplay an ad that I can't even see? All right. I just go to the speaker and then choose uh, headphones or whatever we have it in there as. Um, Just down in the system tray. But uh, anyway, so this thing is talking about how, especially office buildings, um, there is a lot of office towers that are reaching the point of needing to be refinanced. Um, here, I'm going to steal things real quick. Do, 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 do. All right, so New York Community Bank Corp. Decision to slash its dividends and stockpile reserves sent its stock down a record 38%. With the fallout dragging the shares, 23-year low. Um, let's see. So the concern reflects the ongoing slide in commercial property values, coupled with the difficulty predicting which loans might unravel. Setting the stage is a pandemic-induced shift to remote work and a rapid run-up in interest rates, which have made it more expensive for strained borrowers to refinance. Billionaire fella warned that the office market is headed for more than a $1 trillion loss. So office, like office real estate in general, this dude's like, ah, it's going to lose a trillion dollars soon. $1 trillion. It's a little bit. Um, but the way this spins out, uh, this article talks about, is you have different lenders, right? So you have like the the cabal of the Federal Reserve type people, you know, the J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, um, you know, the Big Five or whatever. Uh, Goldman. Goldman Sachs. You know, the too big to fail ones. You know, they're all... You have to, like, if you've never looked into the Federal Reserve at all, I mean, you have to. First of all, it's not federal. It's not a government bank. It's literally a cabal of the biggest banks setting monetary policy for the United States, even though they are just a bunch of corporate banks deciding, like, I don't know how that works. So we're like, ah, we don't need to be in charge of our money. Let's just let the banks decide how much money to print and when and what the interest rate. Like, don't get me wrong. A bank should set the interest rate, right? But do we, I mean, this, this one massive bank? And, like, if, okay, say you set up a massive bank. Say J.P. Morgan Chase is just huge. And other banks borrow from them. Then they set an interest rate. The other banks will mark it up. You know, that's just that's just business, you know? But to have this, like, federally protected monopoly on being the top lender and, like, having shadowy policies that you don't have to tell people about, and then they keep changing them. There used to be, um, it's called the discount window. And if the banks were borrowing from the discount, I think it's called the discount. Is that what it's called? Anyway, they're borrowing from this window to, to cover overnight transfers, you know, because money out, money in every night. And so uh, it used to be very shameful. Like if your bank was shown borrowing you know, from the discount window too much, it was just like, you are probably not going to make it. Like this isn't good. But now they just all do it. It's just everybody does it. And so the shame's gone. People are like, look, we're just playing wild and loose, we'll just do whatever, and then um, if something happens, federal government will bail us out. Um, anyway, so with this, though, small and medium-sized banks that have lent towards mortgages, right, uh, or just, you know, loans towards acquiring office spaces, commercial real estate, um, you know, say you own one big tower, like downtown. It's like, all right, you're going to have to default, you know, no one wants to rent there. There's nothing doing. You're going to file bankruptcy or whatever. You're going to default. 
And then maybe a second customer is going to default on a you know shopping center, and like suddenly you get this this regional bank, this medium sized bank, and they go, hey, we can't actually absorb that many loans defaulting. Like you know, after X number of loans defaulting, we default, and so um, that's looking like what might happen here is in addition to just some commercial property owners, especially office space owners, <clears throat> uh, them defaulting on stuff, it's going to tumble down and shut down banks. And so banks are going to fail. Uh, small, medium-sized banks are going to fail. Of course, what ends up happening with that is for like more consolidation. Um, so the big boys, the Bank of America, the, the two bigs to fail, um, they're going to buy up these assets at a horrible discount, you know, and if it's anything like what happened with, oh, what was it called? Silicon Valley Bank. I'm pretty sure J.P. Morgan Chase got to buy up all the assets and the federal government took all the liabilities. And that's a hell of a deal if you can get it. I mean, like, it's not surprising that old Jamie Dimon shows up so much at so many government things. He seems well ingratiated with, with the powers that be. Uh, and he got... You got a good deal. I mean, I'd love to buy only the assets for companies and not have to take any of the liabilities. That sounds great. And probably that's what we'll see. Well, um, as these things fail and crash, you know, the federal government will step in and go, oh, we have to protect, you know, the normal uh, depositor. Um, you know, they can't lose their savings, even though FDIC insures everything 250000 They'll go, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll have to step in, you know, so we'll, we'll absorb the, the bad paper. And, you know, let Bank of America and whoever buy up all the assets, you know? And get bigger. And get bigger. If you remember, too, like after 2008, um, or when was it? Like, I don't know. After 2008, you know, they did some policies uh, that were supposed to, like, stop this from ever happening again. We're going to new regulations. New regulations. We're going to save save the people. Is it the Dodd-Frank I'm trying to remember Dodd-Frank. I can't remember if Dodd-Frank was before 2008 and helped cause the crisis. Like, I'm just blanking on the timeline. I think the Dodd-Frank was a limit. Well, was, the goal was to limit them on selling low-quality mortgages. Right. Um, but they found a way around it. Well, yeah. like the, I think Dodd-Frank is what led to the packaging of mortgages as... Um, as securities, the mortgage-backed security. Yeah, I think it, yeah, Dodd Frank was a new. It was regulations that tried to do something. Oh, it, it yeah, it helped back loans. Basically, like the federal government started backing bad loans. You know, because even George W. Bush, you know, the goal is home ownership. That's the American dream, and so everybody should buy a house, buy a house, and keep the interest rate to zero percent, and everyone should buy a house. And it's like, all right, people like this loan is crap. It's like, well, this loan's crap too. It's like, well, put it all together. We got a giant crap sandwich. Now it's worth something. And it's like, well, like, what if it defaults? It's like the federal government backs it. What could happen? <laughs> Nothing bad could ever happen. <clears throat> but uh, but there was further regulation. Like after that, that was designed to that was designed to prevent this sort of disaster again. Prevent the too big to fail thing. Uh, but what it actually created was bigger banks, more consolidation. And I think we're going to see even more of that coming. Um, let me see if there's anything else that was in here. Um, I just don't know why somebody, a single entity, has to determine the interest rate. Like, why can't it just be organic based on all the banks and offerings? And you have an Amazon bank come in and lowball to try and steal everyone's business. Sure. And so, in turn, everyone kind of follows it down or follows it up, you know, depending on... You're talking about the free market setting I mean, the rates? just seeing something obvious. I That's a crazy idea, Charlie. Free market will never work. <laughs> what a crazy... We need a central bank that controls all the money and makes all the decisions on how we borrow and spend. <laughs> okay? Okay. Okay? <laughs> if it's a free market set it up, where's the cabal? <laughs> That's stupid. Hey, look, a cliff. Let's all walk off it. <laughs> hey, listen. Sometimes... You need to set up a little organized crime to handle your stuff. We can call the Federal Reserve. We can call it government. I don't know. Nice national racket. Yeah. <laughs> Just be a shame if somebody came and wrecked your business, Charlie. <laughs> Picture a cat. A cat on a counter. 
Um, so here's something. Um, it says banks are facing roughly $560 billion in commercial real estate maturities by the end of 2025. So half a trillion dollars uh, in loans are maturing by the end of 2025, um, which is, represents uh, more than half of total property debt coming due over that period. Let's say regional lenders in particular are more exposed to the industry and stand to be hit harder than their larger peers because they lack the credit card portfolios. So a lot of the bigger banks, they subsidize their losses with the credit cards because we all got them. And the interest rates on those are what, like 30% or whatever now. And um, my mom uh, stands by that that's what bailed out um, the recession like in the 80s or whatever as banks were like... Let's try issuing some credit cards at like high rates. We don't have to be competitive. They're credit cards. And everyone's like, I love credit cards. And so it's just like, you know, print the money, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, these smaller cats uh, don't have credit card. Which, by the way, I want to figure out how to issue a credit card. That's what I want to do. So you want to become your own bank? <clears throat> I don't know. Like, seems just, like people do it. You just need enough ass. You need enough equity. That's all. It's like I was looking at one of those things, like the richest people in each state, and there's that one guy in Montana or Wyoming or something like that, and literally, he just started up um, a bank, but really, all they do is credit cards. It's one of those cheapies that they, you know, they send it out to literally everyone. We're like, hey, you've already been approved. Apply. You know, one of those sorts of things, and you go, oh, okay, well, this is Bank of Nevada or whatever the hell it's called, you know? Uh, but he's made like a trillion dollars doing it. Like, I want to get in on the action. I want to be in the cabal. I mean, maybe you couldn't just have one of the big guys be your backer. Yeah, I wonder. I don't know. Let's do this. Let's start a credit card company. Take advantage of people. <laughs> uh, let's see if there's anything else of interest in here. Um, yeah, Silicon Valley. Come on. Okay, commercial real estate loans account for 28.7% of assets at small banks compared to just 65 at bigger lenders, according to J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. So, yeah, you know. Because they usually get better deals, right? Like, well, it's just a bigger bank has, like the credit cards. They have wow. auto loans. They have all this stuff. And so, you know, with the, if you take a regional bank that's got, you know, one to five branches or something, then they have just fewer fewer assets, you know. And commercial's always been steady. It's always been like, everyone's always going to need office space, you know. Everyone's going to always need a grocery store. You know, it's just good. It's good, good, safe bets. And now it's looking not so safe. So that's... uh, I've seen a lot more for lease on commercial properties lately. And so I'm just waiting for that to turn into for sale. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. And I think that that will come as those le- four lease signs stay um, up longer. <clears throat> yeah, let's see. The Aon Center, the third tallest office tower in Los Angeles, recently sold for $147 million, which is about 45% less than it was purchased in 2014. Somebody bought an office tower at a 50% discount. I mean, essentially. Um, but like all these banks... So all these banks with loans coming to maturity in 2025, and there's going to be a a percentage of them, that's probably not insignificant, that will not come to maturity. That will be written off as as bad. And that will go from there. And this is where, let's see, hold on. There's another thing, the multifamily housing, which is what I want. Um, Let's see. While offices are a particular area con- for concern for real estate investors, the company's largest real estate exposure comes from multifamily buildings with a bank carrying about $37 billion in apartment loans. Nearly half of those loans are backed by rent-regulated buildings, making them vulnerable to New York State regulations passed in 2019. So basically, there's you know, like rent control in New York and all that kind of stuff. And so you got like... Um, what did they said half, so you know, eighteen, eighteen and a half billion dollars in in apartment building loans, and the revenue to pay that loan is somewhat dictated by by lawmakers in New York. Um, and it's funny, like people our hero so far until he shows otherwise, Argentinian president Javier Millet, he eliminated all the um all the rent control 
stuff in Argentina and just outlawed it and or eliminated the regulation. And uh, immediately what happened was more properties were available for rent at a cheaper price. Like immediately. Because what happened was when the rent controls went in, surprise, surprise, uh, people either sold their property because they're just like, look, I can't get what I need, so I'm going to sell it, get out. Other people just held it and used it for Airbnb vacation rentals. They go, listen, there's no rent controls on Airbnb, so I'll just do that. I'll hold on to it. And so the um, inventory of available rental properties was very squished down, making the price of the available ones higher, you know, supply, demand. And uh, so, you know, rent controls created a worse problem than what they were supposed to be solving. You know, it's like, oh, this will keep prices low. It's like, well, it made prices high and options low. And so like, almost immediately, it, these people that were just squashing, squashing down their stuff, being like, eh, Airbnb, they're just like, oh, for rent. People go, yay. It's like, and it's cheaper. Yay. So rent control is nonsense. And it always, always, always in America leads to the same thing, which is the building becomes crappy because you can't, at the rent control prices, you can't afford proper maintenance. Um, so you just ignore it, become a slumlord, and eventually, once it's got a total crud, looks like crap, you sell it to a developer who's going to tear it down and build a luxury condo. And like that's happened like all of the times, you know? And so if you love things like gentrification and like displacing people, like rent control is a good first step for that. Um, but anyway, yeah, so like there's a huge chunk of loans here that, you know, they don't even have full control over the pricing on it to like pay these loans, you know? So. This will be a domino. This will be a domino. Um, when this hits, you know, when 2008 hit, the Pinellas County property prices didn't bottom out till 2013. So 2008 was the badness, but tumbled all the way till 2013 before it bottomed out. So in 2023, we've we already bailed out banks to a greater degree than we did in all of 2008 which was like the worst ever, but we just, we pass that by with a yawn, you know? And so we, that's already begun. Um, and so soon we're going to have, and, and like interest rates are up. Obviously they keep talking about how the feds expected to lower interest rates this year. I'm willing to make a bet right now. That doesn't happen because they never said they were going to, they use language. They basically use language that we're saying, Oh, it's on the table. Oh, we're open to it. We're hoping. You know, it's like we're hoping to lower interest rates this year. It's like, okay, cool. It's like, oh, they plan on lowering. It's like, no, nah, they said they hope. They said they hope. They said maybe. They said maybe, I hope. But uh, that's not a plan. That's just words. And that's because of how crazy, the, um, how much control the Fed has over, like, the stock market. Though that Sentences like that go, okay, the stock market's going to have a strong day or week or whatever just because this one cent oh we're expected to lower interest rates people oh that's great let's invest money you know um but uh i don't think that's gonna happen i don't think interest rates are dropping at all and i think um i think we're gonna have some fun i think uh, yeah the real estate's gonna start to crash and uh that'll tumble into other stuff i think some people who've gotten into that game uh just as like a you know like retail investor you might call it just a normal guy getting into it um if that person doesn't have his ducks in a row his or her ducks um like that person's gonna go bankrupt more houses all that kind of stuff people are gonna lose jobs because some companies are gonna go out of business along the way and then from there you know those people are out of job now they can't pay their bill tumble 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 um so i think i think it could be overall Worse than 2008. Um, maybe it won't be. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll, because of the focus, because it'll be more so commercial real estate this time. Maybe most of us don't notice it, don't feel it. Maybe it's just sort of the big boys that, that feel it. I don't know. Um, but I would say one should be prepared, you know. Um, that dog is just crying out there. Just crying. Um, all right. So, 
In addition to the joys of our real estate market, there's some good news out there. Uh, gold demand hits record highs in 2023 amid geopolitical risks. China weakness. So, yeah, the key points from CNBC. Gold demand hits record high in 2023 on the back of persistent geopolitical tensions and the continued weakness in the Chinese economy, the World Gold Council said. Total gold demand stood at whatever, uh, basically up from 2022 by 150 tons, which is a lot of gold. 50 tons is a lot of gold. Well, with that, uh, this is inclusive of over-the-counter transactions and stock flows. Uh, gold purchases from central banks led to last year's surge, with purchasing exceeding 1,000 tons for two consecutive years. You know what I'm betting? You know which central bank I bet doesn't do that? I bet the Federal Reserve does like zero in gold or close to it. Like the Chinese central bank, they've been buying gold consistently. And like, I don't think the U.S. has been doing that at all. And I don't believe that Fort Knox has one gold coin in it. I think Fort Knox is empty. Well, yeah. So like what, uh, so the gold demand, are they just measuring the ebbs and flows of transactions? Is that, so the demand of, the demand of transactions is up. Yeah. So basically like more tons of gold were okay. exchanged in 2023. Sense. Yeah. And that's the, the over the counter purchases mean like buying physical gold and then stocks mean when you buy gold in the stock market, obviously. Um, but like. Let's see. The biggest drivers of gold demand in 2023 were the Russia-Ukraine war and Israel-Hamas conflict, as well as a slowdown in China's economy. And these could continue boosting the metal price as well into 2024, said this person at the central bank at WGC. What the hell is WGC? Oh, World Gold Council. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I want to be part of the world. Gold That's Council. what I'm saying. They just make up these like yeah. these groups. It's like I'm part of the world platinum council. How about that? <laughs> Send me your platinum. Um, all right, yeah. So all time highs and prices, but basically, there's um, yeah. People's Bank of China was the biggest buyer of gold at 225 tons last year, bumping its stock to 2,235 tons. Um, I am willing to bet that federal the Federal Reserve bought zero tons, and the U.S. government probably bought zero tons and that we probably stole everyone's gold i think everyone's gold that was in fort knox we spent and used and that's why when like germany asked for their gold back a few years ago we're like no problem we'll give you all your gold back <clears throat> it's gonna take us eight years it's like eight years like to ship gold across the ocean like why, let's just send it to them like hey, eight, eight, eight years i think we just did a bunch of ious because we're like, all right, we're going to sell it to get some cash now, but it's still yours. Like, like in a bank, you know, you put your money in here. Well, we invest some of your money. We loan out some of your money. It's still your money on paper. We just don't have your money. And I think we did that with all the gold, too. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, we got you. We just don't have it, you know. And anyway, um, but here, like, let's see. So China Evergrande, once among the country's latest uh, largest property developers was ordered by a Hong Kong court to liquidate after the company failed to reach an 11th hour deal over the weekend to restructure. Um, they, they were huge. Like this was a massive Chinese real estate company that uh, has been looming on bankruptcy for a long time and is pretty, it's a, it's a giant hit to the, like the Chinese economy. Uh, there's going to be a lot of buildings there that are, I don't know, up for grabs. I don't know what they're going to do. Probably the government's going to grab them or something, or an entity that's formed and backed by the government. Uh, Chinese investors are worried about the future of other asset classes, and they're turning to gold as a way to protect their investment portfolios. Uh, gold has actually done very well in renminbi terms. What the hell does that mean? And very well compared to other assets. All right, what do we want to guess? What do you think REN... M-I-N-B-I means. It's not even capitalized, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, Ren-Min-Bi terms. Ren-Min-Bi? Is business term? I've never even heard of that. Ren, oh, shoot, I didn't. Ren-Min-Bi. Remind? Is that Remindy? Did they just spell something wrong? I don't know. R-E-N-M-I-N-B-I. I'm having trouble even spelling it to look it up. Let's see what this thing means. 
Oh. It's the people's currency. They don't capitalize it? I guess not. Huh. Yeah, the official currency of the People's Republic of China. Really? Wasn't it like the yuan or something? Oh. Oh, I see. The unit... One unit of renminbi is yuan. Okay. So it's in yuans, but it's renminbi. So they just have an abbreviated version of it that doesn't relate to the word at all? The yuan is the basic unit of the renminbi, but the word is also used to refer to the Chinese currency generally, especially in international context. Okay. All right. All right. So Chinese currency. Um, Yeah, a lot of gold jewelry being purchased, too. Uh, But they say that's from weddings, which, whatever, fine. Um, But, yeah, so... Historically speaking, when when the U.S. dollar is bad, people turn to gold, right? Um, and it's not shocking that when the Chinese dollar is bad, that China's turning to gold. So it's always, you know, it's the safe haven asset. You know, gold has never been worth nothing, you know? Um, and so, you know, it's good to have a little gold. It's a good safety kind of thing. Uh, but... It's never a good sign when one of the world's largest economies is turning to gold. Um, that's them saying they don't, you know, they they manipulate their dollar anyway. Like, everything's fake. Um, not that we don't. But, um, but they do it even more so, I guess. It's hard to be too critical of some of these people when you start looking at yourself, too. You go, oh, they do this. Like, I mean... I mean, we kind of do that, too. Well, you know, we do it different, so it's nicer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but, like, you know, when China's buying up a bunch of gold, being like, all right, our dollar's about to, like, be worth kiss, you know? And then the U.S., their dollar, you know, we're facing inflation like crazy here, which is our dollar becoming worth less. And then interest rates are up, and it's like, everybody's going to gold. Makes you think everyone's preparing for Bad times. I mean, it's always responsible to have some gold, but when everybody starts buying up, you do think, like, something's ahead. Something's ahead. But uh, luckily, there's nothing, you know, geopolitical things. I think we'll get some stability soon. I think things are going to get real stable. Hey, speaking of that, uh, after new U.S. strikes hitting Yemen, Iran issues a warning about suspected spy ships in the Mideast. <laughs> Stability is coming. Look at this ad. A teaspoon of empty stomach burns pounds of fat extremely fast. There's all these ads nowadays that like look borderline pornographic. Especially, um, uh, what's that Amazon knockoff? Uh, Timu. Timu. Uh, all their ads... Like, you go like, what the hell do you have on my screen? Like, I'm at work, people. And you go, oh, I guess you're selling a dress. I mean, like a hooker dress. But, you know, they're advertising, like, hooker dresses and hooker heels and stuff like that. And you're just like, what the fuck? Like, it's, I mean, it's good clickbait, I'm sure. I'm sure a bunch of guys go, what's this? And they go, oh, that's a hell of a deal on the shovel. Um, <laughs> you just say. <laughs> All right. So, um, as you are aware... Uh, there is a bit of a conflict over in the Middle East. Um, Israel, I don't even know how, I guess calling it a con, it's difficult to define what is happening at the moment. Because like, all right, Israel and Palestine, right? So obviously, October 7th, like Hamas attacked, you know, and it was a brutal attack. And it was not okay what they did. And we said right here on the show, like, like hell's about to just rain down on those poor people. Not poor people Hamas, but all the other people. And uh, hell has, in fact, rained down on them. And, like, there doesn't... I don't see too many reports of, like, combat, you know? Like, you don't see a lot of things. Oh, in this battle of whatever the hell, you know, Israelis lost this many soldiers and... Palestinians lost this many soldiers. It's just basically Gaza being turned into just a parking lot. 
just rubble, rubble everywhere. And I don't know what you define that is. You know, Israel says it's a war. You know, it's a war against Hamas. Got to track down every member of Hamas and kill them. And, you know, if they hadn't hidden weapons and military stuff in civilian places, then they wouldn't have to attack and blah, 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 blah. And I'm not saying that that is incorrect. I mean, Hamas definitely hides military stuff in residential areas for that purpose. Um, But I'd say Israel has definitely responded strongly. A safe way to say it. <laughs> yeah, I think they uh, did not hold back. They were not looking for was it a proportionate response? They definitely went to eleven. Most responses go to ten. Theirs goes to eleven. Anyway, that has caused other tensions because not ends up Israel doesn't have a lot of friends in the Middle East. Um, Iran's not a big fan, believe it or not. And, um, so, you know, there's all this, people are supporting Israel with words or not supporting them with words, but there's some groups like the Houthis that have been attacking and they've been not just attacking towards Israel, but they've been attacking ships in the Red Sea uh, U.S. ships, both commercial and military, or attempting to. And then um, there was, of course, uh, recently an airstrike in Jordan, like the Jordan border or something like that, that killed three U.S. service members. So it's like, oh, okay, so now we have U.S. service member deaths. And um, they were taken out by, you know, Iranian-made weapons. And, you know, the Houthis are doing a lot of it. The This one actually was the uh, IRGC, right? Is it GC or CG? G. I always screw up the last two. But uh, the Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guard, um, they took credit for the strike that killed the U.S. service members, you know? And so they're not part of Iran's government, not part of their military, but also kind of part of their military, kind of a terrorist group, kind of a state actor, kind of, you know, it's, it's weird thing um and so the houthis are using iranian made devices to attack and we're you know shooting those down as best we can and responding um but you know after after the strike on the u.s troops which one might say well do we need to have u.s troops in syria and jordan and iraq because like a drone couldn't have hit us if we weren't there and like, you know, I get, I get that in a global dominance sort of game. Yeah. You want to have bases all over cause you want to make it easy to conquer everybody. You know, you go to war, the more bases you have, the more dominant you can be. Um, but maybe we shouldn't be trying to be globally dominant, you know, like we can be the dominant force by having, the biggest, baddest military. All right. So we got, you know, big, especially Navy, you know, like to protect the different maritime routes and stuff like that. Um, you know, so you can be the biggest, baddest guy that no one wants to mess with. We can be globally dominant in that our economy is so strong that everybody wants to be a partner with us. And like what we do influences other people. Okay. I don't think we need to be like Alexander the Great, Napoleon, sort of, try to be dominant. We don't need to conquer the world. Um, I think most people would prefer if we didn't conquer the world, both domestically and abroad. Um, It's nice having Italy be Italy, and, I don't know, Poland to be Poland, and Ukraine be corrupt. Uh, (laughs) But uh, It's it's 2024. Do we need boots in all areas when we have satellites monitoring every country there is and don't forget about hypersonic missiles you right. know like that's something we're like we're all worried about china having them but we probably got them too and it's just like if you can launch a missile from omaha and hit beijing like do we really need to have an air force base in you know in jordan or something and it's like because what do we need plans for and just, 
I mean, yeah, we'll have planes or whatever, but it is like as te- technology changes, it does seem to make a better case for not needing as many bases all over the place. And I really think that like, you know, old salty Jimmy, like he, he thinks that instead of having like a Navy as part of a department of Homeland security, department of defense type thing, um, yeah, I guess DOD, but, uh, instead of having that kind of thing that he's like, he thinks there needs to be a department of maritime security. And so basically it's just like we have a number of U.S. vessels that go to enact in commerce in these different countries and then like <clears throat> in the Red Sea, not a great place to be right now. And, you know, different. Um, oh, shoot. I just blanked on some of the different straits. But, you know, there's different choke points, you know, um, where we go past nations on one side of the choke point that maybe aren't that friendly to us. And sometimes there's pirates and sometimes, you know, there's state sponsored pirates. And so, you know, to protect our ships, you probably need some security out there. Cause I don't think it's, I don't think it's, um, colonial, you know, to say like, well, yeah, we got people out there protecting our interest. You know, like if we start boarding other ships, not letting their ships go by, like that's a problem, you know, or, you know, start, yeah, if we start bullying in the waters, then that's not cool. But having having our ships around to make sure that ships are protected and can enact commerce, I think there's nothing wrong with that. Um, even on the libertarian side of things, you might say, well, it doesn't need to be government. It should be private. Defense. Okay, fine. Like, I agree. Yeah. Um, I've got no problem with that. And that's even when you look at the uh, like the merchant marines type things. Like, a lot of that's just commerce, that uh, they've got a lot of ships. Um, and they can deploy uh, to help in times of war where all of a sudden you have these commercial vessels and blah, 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 blah. So I'm fine with um, it not being a government institution doing it. But as long as we have it, as long as the government's going to have a sea fleet, um, you know, it, it does tend to make sense. And then, like, I don't think you need as many bases if you have carrier groups and stuff like that out there. Because it's basically a floating military base. You launch planes from it. You can launch missiles from it. Um, you know, you got the subs that can pop up and launch some very nasty missiles. Um, by the way, I saw an article. Some guy attempted to donate a nuclear bomb to a museum. He was in like, um, I don't know, Oklahoma. Or that brings up a lot of questions. Yeah, maybe miss it. I forget exactly where it was, but he was like, hey, my neighbor had this old genuine missile. He's like, I'd like to donate it to this military museum. So they came to check it out. They're like, that's a nuclear bomb. He just had a nuclear bomb in his neighbor's driveway. It's a rust bucket. There's a picture of him standing next to it. It just looks like this rusty, I mean, missile. I don't know what else to say it looks like. It's just this rusty piece of junk, but it's a nuclear missile. That was just like chilling in Alabama or whatever this whole time, which would make sense, actually, if it was in Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I got nuclear missiles. like, yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. Um, Okay, so anyway... um, well, that's say so there's been some strikes and so you know the u.s has been posturing real big you know biden who looks weak on lots of stuff is up for re-election clearly unless michelle jumps in and uh and so he's gotta look tough everyone's gotta look tough so um you know we're striking back and of course uh, because it's the houthis we strike back in yemen because uh, we've been doing a proxy war the saudis have been fighting against the houthis so it's like iran has fight, been fighting against America, and we've been using our proxies there. And like the actual uh, people of Yemen um, have been suffering. They've basically been starving to death and dying of disease constantly as we have a military playground over there, and no one cares. Um, all right. So Iran issued a warning on Sunday to the U.S. over potentially targeting two cargo ships in the Mideast long suspected of serving as fording operation operating bases for Iranian commandos just after America and the UK launched a massive airstrike campaign against Yemen's Houthi rebels. The statement from Iran on Bashad and Sava's ships appears to signal Tehran's growing unease over the U.S. strikes in recent days in Iraq, Syria, and Yemen, targeting militias backed by the Islamic Republic. 
Those attacks themselves a retaliatory campaign for the killing of three, uh, three U.S. soldiers and wounding, wounding of dozens of others in Jordan all stem back to Israel's war of Hamas. Bop, bop, bop. The Yemen strikes overnight Sunday struck across six provinces of Yemen held by the Houthi rebels, including the capital. Um, blah, blah, blah. These attacks will not discourage Yemeni forces and the nation from maintaining their support for the Palestinians in the face of the Zionist occupation and crimes, Houthi military spokesman Brigadier General Yahya Sari said. The aggressors' airstrikes will not go unanswered. So, I mean, everyone's... The funny thing is, I find about this, and there'll be other language in here, is uh, I think the rest of the world is catching up to us in bullshit language you know um we never say you know we never say we didn't like that guy we took him out oh he's a terrorist or you know he's we're we're peacekeeping you know so all that stuff so like that was russia when they went into ukraine they were peacekeeping i was like i see what you did there and so then like later let me see well i guess we'll get to it but uh uh, Lloyd Austin, who cares what he thinks about anything? He said they're going to keep attacking. Jake Sullivan also said they're going to do stuff. Who cares about that guy? Uh, so the Bashad and Savas are registered as commercial cargo ships with a Tehran-based company. The U.S. Or based company, the U.S. Treasury has sanctioned as a front for the state-run Islamic Republic of Iran shipping lines. The Savas, then later the Bashad have loitered for years in the Red Sea off Yemen, suspected of serving as spy positions for Iran's paramilitary revolutionary guard. These are basically spy ships that have been floating out there for a long time. I was like, eh, these seem like these are spy ships in the Red Sea. Um, and they probably are. Uh, in 2017, Saudi Arabia described the Savas as, mar- as a maritime base and weapons transshipment point for the guard, staffed by men in military fatigues. Footage aired by a Saudi-owned television channel showed the vessel armed with what appears to be a covered machine gun bolted to the ship's deck. Unless, of course, it's just a blanket over something else and we're just making stuff up. WMD. WMD. Um, all right, well, I, w- I want to see what Iran's quoting here. Let me see. Okay. They had a good quote in here. Yeah, here it is. Here it is. Um... Let's see, just before the new campaign of U.S. airstrikes began, the Bashad traveled south into the Gulf of Aden, is now docked in Djibouti. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) I can't help. There's a store I go to, and if you go out the back door, the chime goes, back door open. And I don't know, every time I walk out, I'm just like, (laughs) back door is open. (laughs) I'm just not mature enough for this world. Uh, Anyway, Djibouti. Uh, Just off the coast uh, from a Chinese military base in the country. The statement ends with a warning overlaid with a montage of footage of U.S. warships and an American flag. Those engaging in terrorist activities against Bashad or similar vessels jeopardize international maritime routes, security, and assume global responsibility for potential future international risks. See, that sounds like an American statement, doesn't it? So, any terrorist activities against this Iranian ship or similar ones will jeopardize the international maritime routes. So, you know, just boats trying to do commerce will jeopardize that. And security... And assume global responsibility for future, basically, responses. Uh, which, you know... It's your fault you died. I mean, it's just... It, <laughs> it's the same crud we say. And that's the hard thing about it is... Like, yeah, I think they are... I think they are spy ships. Why wouldn't they be? Um, you know, I do think that they have military operations. Why wouldn't they be? I mean, it's Red Sea. It's pretty close to home for them, you know? It's... Not like we don't have ships currently in the Red Sea uh, that are military, that probably are gathering intelligence as well. So, I mean, like, we don't refer to our ships as spy ships. They're just military vessels offering support and keeping the peace in the area, you know. Um, Making sure there's no attacks from the Houthi rebels, making sure there's none of this stuff. It's like, all right, so we're gathering intelligence, men operating in a military capacity. It's like, yeah, 
It's like, but those ships over there, it's like, what are they doing? It's like, they're gathering intelligence and operating in military capacity, but they're hiding. It's like, all right. And so, of course, we say, you know, any terrorist attacks against our vessels, you know, will respond in kind. So Iran goes, yeah, well, any, any terrorist attack against our vessels will respond. It's your fault. <laughs> so we're both just sitting there pointing fingers, doing the exact same thing as one another. Um, anyway, so that's just, uh, that's some stability. So we got that stability going. That's uh, Iranian-backed groups or whether they're Iranian-backed or not. But, I mean, the drones seem to be made in Iran. They're getting intelligence from Iran. So let's just say the Houthis have Iranian support. I don't think that's crazy. You know, I know there's a habit of Blaming all terrorism on Iran and all international strife on Russia or China or something like that. Uh, but in this particular instance, I mean, the Houthis, they're, they're supported by Iran. I mean, they just, they are. Like, all of them in the world aren't. The Houthis are. Um, and so, like, you know, it's bubbling up. It's bubbling up where, you know, it seems like people in our government are itching to go to war with Iran. Well, they have been for years. Um, have we played the Wesley Clark clip of him talking about the, the plan when George W. Bush was president about going, like when we were talking about invading Iraq and all that. So Wesley Clark, who ran for president, uh, he wanted to run against Bush. He lost in the primary to Kerry, shockingly enough. <laughs> Like I, I really when Wesley Clark announced, I was like, damn, this guy that'll be a tough one, uh, for George W. Bush, who's got you know, he's popular post nine eleven, but it, it started to dwindle. And uh and all of a sudden you have a general who's a Democrat who's kind of talking about ending war like talking about peace, but you can't call him like a sissy hippie. He's literally a general, you know. Um I I was surprised at how bad of a campaign he ran. Um, and then it's kind of stayed away. It was bad enough that he just never tried again. But, uh, anyway, he was giving this talk and he talks about going into, uh, like after he, I think he was retired, like officially retired, but he was going in to like do something. And so he was hollering at one of his colleagues, former colleagues. And he's like, Hey, did you see this? It shows like, it's like, why the hell are we invading? I think it was Iraq. I don't think it was Afghanistan at the time. I think it was the Iraq invasion. He goes, why the hell are we doing this? He's like, I don't know, man. He's like, that's what we're doing. He's like, apparently we're going to, it's like the plans to go, like, take it's like Afghanistan, Iraq, and then it was basically, I forget, seven nations, Syria, um, Libya, you know, any of these sound familiar as places that got toppled. And I forget all of them, but it all would end with Iran. So we'd go through and just topple all like the Middle East governments, and then the very end, the prize was toppling Iran. Um, well, because they didn't have central banks at the time. Who did Iran? No, all those countries on the list. I don't think they. Oh, that's had central banks at the time. Oh yeah, I yeah, it could be. Who knows the motivation besides just dominance? You know, like just conquering it, installing puppet governments, and. Not having to worry about all this mess, this mess in the Middle East. Let's put our puppets in, which has never backfired. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, everyone goes, Osama bin Laden wasn't trained by the U.S. Specifically, it's like, well, I mean, he wasn't. But, you know, the Taliban, you know, we kind of created an armed force battling the Soviets that then later organized and attacked us. And then we went to war with for a while. And with the weapons we gave them. But yeah. And then we kind of lost and left them a lot of weapons and cash. The cash is the most incredible thing about those videos. Cause it's just like, you couldn't bring the money with you. Like I get that we couldn't fly all the tanks back. Okay. I get it. That's difficult. But like those houses or those buildings where it was like cash stacked up, like knee to hip high. And like, I don't know how many stacks out it was, like eight or something, six or eight stacks out. And it's just like, and it circles the whole building. And you look at that, and you're just like, and they're $100 bills. And you're just like, holy shit, like just stacks of $100 bills all around. Like this, it's like, it looked like um, in Bad Boys, 
one or two, I forget which one, where they're hiding the money on the boat and the rats are eating. Like, this is a stupid problem. It was like that. Like, it was just like money just oozing out. And we just like, leave it. We didn't even set it on fire. Like, if we're concerned about like the Taliban, if we're concerned about these people doing bad stuff, the worst thing to do is leave a bunch of unmarked American bills by the tens of thousands. It might have been more than, I don't know what, I've never looked at a million dollars and hundred dollar bills. I don't know what that would look like. But this looked like a lot. I know like this much money and hundred dollar bills is probably a lot. So I imagine this is a whole lot. So I imagine that's even more. And <laughs> like that's probably a hundred thousand. You think that? Yeah. You think that you can fit a thousand bills in that chunk? Yeah. Because ten I mean ten thousand is is I don't know. I don't know. I've never held $10,000. Actually, that's not true. Why did I hold $10,000 one time? But it was surprisingly a small stack. Why did I have $10,000? What was I doing? I think I was buying a car. Why did I have that money? (laughs) I can't remember what I was doing now. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Uh, But yeah, now that you say it that way, that was a lot of money. Maybe some was 20s. Maybe it wasn't all 100s. Surely it wasn't all 100s. That'd be so much money. So much money, and like in addition to like leaving all the, like all the weapons. Yeah, because you would want different denominations Probably. depending on what you're going to use it for. Yeah, depending if that whole thing was just to bribe one leader, or if you're trying to buy things. Um, either way, we left probably millions of dollars, and in, in addition to definitely millions of dollars in weapons and ammunition and equipment, and like some of the dudes were like breaking the crap out of like helicopters and stuff before they left. But, you know, surely you can find a mechanic that's, you know, favorable to you and fix up the control panels, you know, fix up whatever was broken because it's still like, you know, yeah, you made it inoperable, but not permanently. Like, if we're going to leave stuff behind, we should at least blow shit up, you know? Right, because they could part it out from another one and just yeah. make one good one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, they broke it on that one. Well, here we go. I mean, because we left enough. Um but anyway, so stability is grow instability is growing in the Middle East. Um, I know we're kind of getting long here, but let me just one last thing not to worry about. So you know, money not might not be worth anything. But luckily, according to New York Post, Chinese hackers are ready to wreak havoc on critical U.S. infrastructure with fifty to one cyber personnel advantage. FBI director warns. China is preparing its legion of hackers to wreak havoc on critical U.S. infrastructure. FBI Director Christopher Wray warned lawmakers on Wednesday. Digital infiltrators working for the People's Republic of China are specifically targeting American water treatment plants, the electrical grid, oil and natural gas pipelines, and transportation systems, according to the FBI Director, who noted that the Chinese hackers far outnumber the Bureau's cyber personnel. So, that's good. Um... Let's see. In fact, if you took every single one of the FBI's cyber agents and the intelligence analysts and focused them exclusively on the China threat, China's hackers would still outnumber the FBI's cyber personnel by at least 50 to 1. Yeah. And, like, let me just see if there's anything else I really need to talk about in here that might have kind of... Yeah, malware. They got malware. Okay, who cares? All that's just fluff. But, uh... A source of mine uh, who had recently viewed um, some FBI guidance on this matter uh, seems to think that there's definitely more that they know that they can't or are not telling us, right? Because, uh, you know, I don't know what the, the guidance says, but the takeaway is there's probably more to this that is like already um not disclosed probably won't be disclosed and so my guess is kind of obvious thing because people have been talking about the weakness of our grid security uh for years you know so i think china's been in our power grid in our water in our pipelines i think they've been in there for five maybe ten years already and we don't have anything we can do about it because we don't know what to do about it. We don't know how far they're in. Uh, at this point, like, if you if you take admin control of a system, right, 
um, any system, just a normal server, and you don't, no one knows you're there, you can set up uh, other super user accounts, right? And so that's one thing. And, but maybe an admin one day goes, look at all these super user accounts. Like, when did these go here? And we need to get rid of them. All right, maybe you can catch that. But maybe you open certain ports, certain ports that you can then send malware through or different commands through. Uh, you can, you know, you can do all sorts of stuff to allow access through various, various ports, various means um, for yourself that would be hard to find. The longer you are there, the more stuff you can do, you know, and, and it would be harder to catch because if you're not, if no one's checking these things constantly, um, which, you know, I don't think in our power grid and stuff like that, people pay attention at all to anything. I mean, they pay attention to power, you know, they regulate how much energy is going to different places and they watch all that. But as far as, you know, I don't know, various cybersecurity things, I think for a long time they've not been concerned. So I think the dirty little secret is that we just lost you. Yeah, we sure did. That's convenient. It is convenient. Dirty little. All right, well, here, let me just oh. Oh, let's kick him back on. Um, okay, great. How my battery die like that? That's BS. Anyway, I think they've been there for a while. I don't think we know how to get rid of them, and I think that's not great. Um, so anyway, until uh, I guess I'll wrap this up since everything's going screwy. The feds are coming after us, obviously. Uh, so until next week, what do you got? It's China. China. All right, like, subscribe, do all those things. Bye.